1: 18 plus.
2: The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened, and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's has ranked Edelman Financial Services as the number one independent advisory firm in the nation based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investor returns and experience are not considered. Edelman combined with Financial Engines Advisors in November 2018. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Edelman Financial Engines is the number one ranked investment advisor in the country by Barons. Now, here's Rick Edelman.
3: And a very happy summer to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. Yes, it's the first weekend of summertime. Hope you're having a wonderful time this summertime. We are having a wonderful time in the investing world. Yes, indeedy. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. Our bull market is now officially 10 years old. This is now officially the longest bull market in the 90-year history of the S&P 500. This is very exciting. In fact, this bull market, 10 years old, is now twice as long as the average bull market since 2009 stocks in the United States have more than quintupled. But hey, even though it's the longest bull market in U.S. history, it's not the biggest one. The bull market that occurred in the 1990s saw the S&P 500 rise 417%. This bull market so far is only up 327%. So we've got a little bit of ways to go to set that record of the bull Biggest Right now, we are the longest bull market in U.S. history. We haven't had a recession in more than 10 years. But we can't get totally cocky about that. Australia hasn't had a recession in 28 years. I come from a land of, us and of. Michael J. Crocodile Dundee. Oh, how old are you? Don't know. Uh, what year is this? You don't know. Um, time doesn't mean much up here, miss. You see, um, the Aborigines don't have calendars. So, yeah, we have to recognize that uh, maybe let's not get a little too cocky about our 10-year bull market, 10 years without a recession, even 10 years without a stock market correction. Uh, but people are wondering about whether a recession might be coming up. And, in fact... How are you doing in the 10 years since the 2008 credit crisis? Shockingly, based on a new survey that just came out, of those Americans who are adults today and who were adults 10 years ago, is that you? Were you an adult 10 years ago, meaning you were already in your 20s at least 10 years ago? Today, 10 years later, 23% say they are in worse shape now than they were before. Ah! 51% say their overall situation is better than it was, only half of America. People with, as you would expect, lower incomes, lower educational levels, are more likely to say they're worse off now than they were 10 years ago. Even worse, less than half of Americans say that their salaries today are higher than they were 10 years ago. And more than half of adults say over the past 10 years, they've had some type of financial hit during the last 10 years. 71% say they've lost money in the stock market. Which I find rather fascinating, considering that the S&P 500 has jumped over 300% in the last 10 years. 46% say that their homes have lost value, which is rather amazing, since home values have risen pretty steadily in most parts of the country over the last 10 years. 24% say they've depleted emergency savings. 21% say they or their spouse or partner lost a job. 19% say they've incurred substantial debt, and 19% say that they've had to tap in. Into their retirement savings. Despite all of this, despite the fact that so many Americans say that they've lost money in the stock market or in their real estate, that they've depleted their savings, tapped into their retirement, they've lost jobs, incurred debts, 29% say they haven't changed anything.
4: you
5: kidding me!
3: Really? Seriously? Things aren't going your way and there's nothing you've done about it? You can't be
6: serious, man. You cannot be
3: serious. In fact, 10% say that compared to 10 years ago, they're investing less in the stock market than they used to. We have to recognize that this is the greatest economic scenario we have had in modern American history. The employment rate is at an all-time high. Inflation rate is at a 50-year low. Interest rates, 50-year low. We have to recognize that there has never been a better economic opportunity to enjoy prosperity. And if you're not enjoying it, you are doing something wrong. Now, you might not know what it is that you're doing wrong. You might not know what it is that the opportunities are that are out there. Well, you can... Trumble about trying to figure it out, or you could just ask someone who can tell you. That's us. Give us a call at Triple H Plan Rec. If you're languishing, if you're not enjoying the economic environment that our nation has created since the credit crisis of 2008, it's not too late. Take advantage of it. We'll show you how. Triple H Plan Rec. Maybe changes in lifestyle, changes in occupation, changes in education. Changes in investment strategy will help you figure it all out. By the way, with the fact that the stock market is now hit a record 10 years without a bear market, 10 years since we've had a 20% decline from the high, people are naturally asking the question well, when is it going to happen? Because we understand that the financial markets are the same as the business cycle, the economy as a whole. It's a cycle. Prices go up and prices go down. The economy grows and the economy recedes. That's where the word recession comes from. So when can we expect a bear market to occur? Bear market is defined, as I said, as when the stock market drops 20% from its most recent high. Well, what you have to understand that when a bear market occurs, on average, stocks fall 36%. That's that's a little scary, isn't it, to have the stock market fall by a third? But keep in mind that in a bull market, stocks tend to rise by more than 100%. In other words, stocks tend to go up in good times three times more than they go down in bad times. And also keep in mind that bear markets, when, you know, they're inevitable, they will show up at some point, it's nothing to be scared about. It's normal. In fact, in the last 90 years, we've had 25 of them. There's a bear market on average once every three years. It's been 10 years since our last one, which some people argue means we're overdue. But when it finally occurs, and I do say when, not if, when a bear market finally occurs, on average, they're generally pretty short, about 10 months. So you just grin and bear it, hence the bear market, right? I mean, you just don't do anything about it. Don't change your strategy. You just wait it out. In fact, here's an amazing statistic. If you look at the stock market's best performing days, half of them occur during bear markets. So while the markets are overall falling, you get these occasional spurts of fabulous performance. Another 30% of the market's best days occurred in the two months after a bear market's end, you know, but before anybody realized that the bear market had come to an end. Oh, by the way, don't assume that a bear market means recession. Since 1929, as I said, we've had 25 bear markets. You know how many recessions we've had? Only 14. So don't assume that just because we have a bear market, just because the stock market falls 20% from its high, don't assume that that means a recession is on the way and the economy is going to be uh, retracting. That's not necessarily the case. So in fact, let me put it to you this way. How many years do you plan to be invested? From now, how many more years do you think you'll continue to own investments? I'm going to pick a number for you, okay? 30 years that sound reasonable? You'll probably still own investments 30 years from now. Do you realize that means you're going to experience 10 more bear markets before you die? In other words, it's just another day. It's just another thing. Don't worry about it. Over the past 90 years, bear markets have comprised 20 of those 90 years. Put another way, stocks have risen 77% of the time. So, Let's recognize that a bear market is inevitable, even though there are no signs it's coming anytime soon. And when it does, as they say, grin and bear it. I'm Rick Edelman. Stay with us for more on The Rick Edelman Show. Huge news from Facebook. I'll tell you what it is when we come back. 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com.
2: For a wealth of information on personal finance, go to the education page at rickedelman.com.
3: Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. Glad you're with me here on this summertime weekend. We've got big news in the area of blockchain technology. We spend a lot of time on this program talking with you about exponential technologies and how the latest innovations are making fundamental, radical, disruptive changes to everyday life for us here, both in the United States as well as around the world. Now we have news that two major ship operators have joined together to form a blockchain platform with the assistance of IBM. These two shipping companies control half of the world's cargo, moving it from country to country, continent to continent. Involving all of this, Walmart, Procter & Gamble, Dow DuPont, involving more than 100 ports all around the world, They're testing this blockchain technology to view their supply chains. It's allowing them to track everything from raw materials to finished goods, allowing people to share information as their goods move through the supply chain. It's going to reduce, they say, the dramatic cost of shipping. And do you know what the number one expense of shipping goods is from country to country? Paperwork. You must be joking. No, quite seriously. It's the paperwork going from one country to another that comprises 20% of the transportation costs. Blockchain technology can virtually eliminate the documentation processes that allow governments as well as the corporations to track their goods and move them more quickly and easily. LIMRA says that they're going to begin using blockchain technology to make it easier for insurance agents to get licensed. The app will automatically validate insurance agencies' licensing credentials. There are more than 200,000 independent insurance agents in the U.S. They work on average with 11 different insurance companies. So imagine the paperwork for 200,000 insurance agents to license themselves with 11 companies each. There's duplicative paperwork dealing with the state regulatory requirements, and they say that the blockchain technology offers a unique solution that will save money and allow greater value to customers. AT&T is now getting in on blockchain technology. They're using a cryptocurrency that will allow you to pay your bill using crypto. Whole Foods, Nordstrom, GameStop, they're already doing that as well. Journalist.org says that in the next three years, half of all global commerce transactions will be made digitally. And that brings us to the big news of the week coming from Facebook. I'm sure you've seen it. It was page one in the New York Times, page one in the Wall Street Journal, page one on USA Today. Page one, pretty much everywhere, Facebook has announced a new digital currency backed by global government currencies. They announced they've been secretly working on this for more than a year. Their blockchain technology is called Libra, and it's going to launch next year. They've already got 28 founding members participating in this. MasterCard, PayPal, eBay, Coinbase, Uber, Lyft, Spotify. They plan to have 100 by the time they launch. All 2.7 billion customers of Facebook and WhatsApp, which Facebook owns, will be able to use Libra to buy products advertised on the sites. In other words, as a Facebook user, when you're trolling around Facebook and you see an ad pop up on your screen and it's a product you wanna buy, you'll simply click a button using Facebook's digital coin to purchase it. You'll also be able to send your digital coin called Libra to any other business or person who has a Libra wallet anywhere in the world. You'll be able to turn your Facebook coin into dollars of any currency. You'll be able to transfer the money to your bank account or to an online account like PayPal. Libra is likely to be most attractive to people in the developing world. They don't have easy access to bank accounts or credit cards. There are 1.7 billion people on the planet who are unbanked. They don't have enough money to have a normal bank account. In fact, third-party payments via mobile technology, it's already ubiquitous in China. They did $23 trillion worth of commerce last year with mobile phone apps. Barclays says Libra could generate $19 billion in revenue for Facebook by 2021. The New York Times said, quote, This is the most far-reaching attempt by a mainstream company to jump into the world of cryptocurrencies. The company hopes Libra could become the foundation for a new financial system not controlled by Wall Street or central banks. RBC called Libra, quote, a potential watershed moment for the global adoption of crypto. And Coinless said, quote, Facebook is about to introduce billions of people to the concept of cryptocurrencies. It's hard to think of a better accelerant. David Marcus, he's the head of Facebook's blockchain technology research division. He's the guy behind Libra. He said, quote, this is something that could be a profound change for the entire world. Who's David Marcus? Well, before joining Facebook, he was the president of PayPal. Now, some people aren't as excited about it. Some are downright worried. One of them is Maxine Waters. You know her. She's the chair of the House Financial Services Committee, member of Congress. She called on Facebook to stop! Stop developing this until we can hold hearings. Because, you know, everybody's nervous about innovation and what it might mean. Is all this good for Bitcoin, by the way? If Facebook is going to create its own coin, this is something I've been telling you for a long time. People have been asking the question, what is Bitcoin? How does it work? Should I buy it? Should I invest? Everybody saw Bitcoin rise 1,500% in 2017 and then crash 80% in 2019. It's now up 150% this year. Wild swings in value. People asking the question, what is it? How does it work? Should I buy it? Now the question is, if Facebook is going to offer its own digital currency, what does that mean for Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin enthusiasts are... Still enthusiastic, on the news of Facebook's announcement, Bitcoin jumped to over $9,000 in value. It's up over 400% in the past 12 months. Nine in 10 Americans are now aware of Bitcoin, and an amazing 17% said they would actually prefer to buy it over stocks. not quite sure I follow that logic, but okie-dokie. Why is it such a big deal? Well, think about it. The biggest company that allows you to buy Bitcoin is a company called Coinbase. They have 40 million users. Facebook has 2.4 billion users worldwide. You're beginning to get an understanding of why this announcement by Facebook is a big deal? Meanwhile, restaurants and stores are busy going cash free But some say this discriminates those who lack bank accounts. Another illustration of how Facebook might solve that problem, because I'm willing to bet that a lot of the people who don't have bank accounts do have Facebook accounts. Want to learn more about this? Let me help you. I'm going to mention three books that I like in the Fundamental Education of Blockchain Technology and digital assets. One of them is called Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper. Another one, Blockchain Competitive Advantage by Allison Davis and Matthew Lemurre. And finally, Crypto Assets by Jack Tater. I didn't write any of these books, but I like all three of them if you want to learn more about this innovative technology. As I have said to you many times on this program, if you're going to invest in digital assets such as Bitcoin, Recognize it is extraordinarily speculative. There's virtually no federal regulation. It is still a Wild West environment. Any money you invest, you should be prepared to lose all of it. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. If you're going to invest, which we're not necessarily recommending that you should do, no more than 1% of your assets. Treat it like a lottery ticket. Although I am personally an investor in Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other digital assets, both directly and via funds, it is only because I've been studying this for about a decade, and so you should study and learn up before you attempt to proceed, if at all. And keep that in mind. Anything you invest, be prepared to lose. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricestellman.com.
2: the author of the number one national bestseller, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. Coming up on The Rick Edelman Show...
3: Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here, H plan rick That's h 752 6742 online at ricestelman.com. Time for my favorite segment of the week. Pull up your chairs, turn up the volume. Yes, indeedy, it's time once again, boys and girls, for another
0: thrilling installment. Dumb.
1: Really bad advice. Here's your host, Rick Edelman.
3: All right, I'm going to give you two bits this week and really bad advice. First, we're going to go back to 2013 and talk about Mark Spitznagel. He's a hedge fund manager at Universa Investment. He told CNN in 2013 that he was confident that the stock market would crash in 2013 or 2014. What really ended up happening? Well, the S&P did not crash. In 2013, it gained 32%. And in 2014, it gained 13%. So much for Mark Spitznagel's predictive abilities. And I got to mention this one to you, something a little more current. This month's Youthless forecast. It comes from Paul Christopher and Samir Samana. They are of the Wells Fargo Investment Institute. Here is the quote from their report. Quote, We believe that capital markets are at an inflection point that could lead to a move in either direction. Thanks once again for playing. Be sure to tune in again next week for
1: another edition of
3: Really Bad Advice. It really could move in either direction. Thanks, that was really helpful. Uh, advice. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. One of the most constant current themes that we hear of of interest to folks is retirement and retirement security. And that's one of the reasons that we've created the Funding Our Future Coalition in partnership with the Bipartisan Policy Center. Now about three dozen organizations, academic groups, think tanks, nonprofits, and major corporations are behind the Funding Our Future Coalition, all in an effort to help improve public policy and make it easier for Americans to save. Make it easier for Americans to generate lifetime income they cannot live, and to save the Social Security system. Who better to talk about the issues of aging and retirement security than Peter Caldas? He's president and CEO of the South Florida Institute on Aging. Peter, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. So there's a rumor, I don't know if it's true or not, that there's a whole lot of old people in Florida.
5: The rumor is true and it's increasing.
3: <laughs> so, I mean, it makes perfect sense that there's an Institute on Aging in South Florida. You really, literally, have your pulse on uh, issues that matter a lot to older Americans. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges that people face in terms of achieving security in retirement?
5: Well, for us, we see one thing it's living. Uh, put another way, they're outliving their money, right? So when you consider current average life expectancy, women average live to about 81, men 76. But the Social Security Act was passed in 1935, and it sounded like a good deal at the time, except for the fact that American life expectancy back then was about 62 years old. Uh, so the costs related to longevity are really high and we've noticed that it's even surprising to some of the most sophisticated investors
3: that they didn't realize they were going to live as long as they are and and you mentioned the life expectancy is women 81 men 76 of course there's bad news the American Society of Actuaries now says it's 88 And so the longer you live, the longer you're going to live. And so the problem just becomes more and more uh, of a challenge for folks that are never thought when they were born, when they were growing up and working, that they'd be living so long.
5: And by living longer, you're uh, forced to consider your health care costs. And a recent Genworth study talked about how the median cost for a home health aid in Florida is about $47,000 annually. And if you choose to have a private room in a, in a nursing home, it costs well over $100,000. So people need to consider the costs of health care uh, as a result of living longer.
3: And this is a particularly dicey number, that $100,000 a year, because it's not uh, paid for by your health insurance and it's generally not covered by uh, Medicare. And as a result, you've got to foot this bill while also providing the same lifestyle expenses that your spouse is incurring. If you're the one going into the nursing home, uh, your spouse is still spending whatever money your spouse was spending before. So this is eight grand a month or more on top of your current expenses, not a replacement or a substitute of current expenses. It's an addition. And that's why it doesn't take long for most American households to, frankly, go bankrupt when faced with these expenses.
5: That's absolutely right. And on top of it, you add increasing housing costs. You know, in South Florida, nearly a third of salaries go to housing costs for some of our seniors, and it's extraordinarily burdensome.
3: So at the same time, you know, there are so many retirees in South Florida, clearly many are doing well. What have you seen some folks doing that you would call, say, best practices that have allowed them to retire comfortably? What are they doing right? Well, I'm going to start with they don't retire, or at least not in the traditional sense.
5: You know, retirement doesn't mean doing nothing anymore. You know, we had uh, an economist, Chris Farrell, at one of our recent roundtables uh, explain that one in four new business ventures were actually started by the 55 to 64 year old age group. And so the labor force participation rate of people over 60 has risen nearly one third in the last decade. So they're basically starting businesses. And I think a second best practice is that they're actually taking advantage of the sharing economy. Uh, We've partnered with a startup known as SilverNest, a sort of long-term Airbnb for older Americans, and they're now able to offer an online platform that allows you to rent out a room if you're an empty nester and earn some extra income at about $10,000 annually, so you don't have to tap into your home equity, for example, if you want to take on some home improvements.
3: So clearly, the nature of retirement is evolving. And the retirement that our grandparents knew, where they retired at 62 and dead at 65, is clearly not what we're going to experience. And so it's important to realize we may give up that prior job, that 40 or 50 or 60 hour work week, making six figures, you can do something on the side on a part-time basis that's of interest to you. Make 10 or 20 grand a year. It's a fabulous supplement to your retirement income and social security income and enough to keep you in a great comfortable situation.
5: No, that's absolutely right. And, And that whole notion of how our generations and different generations differ from the prior ones is such an important one here in South Florida. You know, many of the baby boomers we help, unknowingly, quote, share when they talk to us. And they said, if I could turn back time, I wouldn't have bought that second car or that boat. And I think Gen Xers are sort of following similar spending patterns. And, and I know you know, there's some studies from Alliance recently that talked about the median retirement savings balance at just 35000 for Gen Xers. But millennials in South Florida... Are, have already given up on that sort of linear path of going to school, getting married, working at the same company for 30 years, etc., retiring with a pension. And so they're now seeking employers and jobs who aren't just uh, tied to their sense of corporate responsibility and community service. They want great benefits, too. And so you know, we're delighted because one of our local success stories, a company called Ultimate Software, uh, is paying 100% of health care. Uh, and offering up to 10% 401k match. They have no problem attracting and retaining top talent.
3: And so you raise a really interesting point about talking about millennials and Gen Xers. Is there indeed a generational divide between current retirees and those who are decades away from retirement in terms of how they view financial security?
5: Look, I think the generational views have slightly changed uh, decade to decade, but I actually think the real divide is in the generation itself. And what I mean by that is that uh, retirement planning has generally not been a level playing field for people of color, women, LGBT seniors. They've typically earned less and in many cases are you know single heads of households. So we see it here in South Florida all the time. And, you know, We often hear that a rising tide raises all boats, and leveling the playing field with fair wages, supportive benefits, access to strong financial tools, I think is something that will benefit the economy and every generation's uh, retirement
3: security. So what one piece of advice would you offer my listeners uh, at this point?
5: I would suggest they look at technology. I would suggest they try and understand how to leverage technology to ensure uh, security in retirement, whether it be you know, navigating some amazing online tools that I know many uh, investment advisors offer their clients, or if they're too shy and they happen to live in South Florida, they can come to Sophia and take some of our free technology classes. But I really think uh, today's retirees or those who are planning to retire should really leverage technology to take advantage of of, uh, resources available.
3: That's Peter Keldes, uh, the president and CEO of the South Florida Institute on Aging, Sophia, I love that acronym. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you, Rick. And if you would like to learn more about technology, you can turn to my book, The Truth About Your Future, which is a deep dive into exponential technologies and the impact it's having on you in life today and into the future. And you can learn about our Coalition to Improve Retirement Security. It's fundingourfuture.us. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricestelman.com.
2: the founder of the nation's largest independent investment advisory firm. Coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
3: Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here on The Rick Edelman Show. We were just talking with Peter Koudis about Social Security. Something exciting happened this past week. The New York Times, this is the first time I've seen it in the couple of years that I've been talking with you about this subject, first time I've seen it, I'm thoroughly excited. The New York Times, page one of the business section on June 13th, massive headline, Retirees at Risk, Crisis Looms for Social Security Recipients. Massive photograph of Ronald Reagan signing legislation looked on by Tip O'Neill and Bob Dole, along with a bunch of other members of the House and Senate, all smiles as they solved in 1982 the Social Security crisis. Of course, their solution back in 1982, admittedly at the time, was only a 40-year solution. Well, here we are some 40 years later, and their solution is running out. And that's why we again have a Social Security crisis. I have been sharing this with you for the past several years, as evidenced by the weekly interviews that we present to you here on this program, of experts in the field of Social Security, helping us to understand the crisis that is coming. And I've been upset that no one in the major media has been echoing or sounding the alarm. Now, here comes the New York Times, page one of the business section, with a subhead, quote, unless Congress and the White House act, an expected shortfall will affect many older Americans. The math of retirement planning is already changing. It's a massive story. I'm thrilled to see them do it. The New York Times article says in part, quote, It is barely being talked about in Washington or at 2020 campaign events. Benefit cuts would be devastating, the New York Times says, for about half of American retirees who rely on Social Security for most of their retirement income. The New York Times acknowledges that under current law, benefit cuts will begin in 2034, a 21% cut in benefits. They quote, John Chauvin, a Stanford economist, 15 years is really just around the corner for people planning their retirement. The cuts that are being projected would be terrible for a lot of people. Now, not every older American will be affected. Who will be hurt the most? According to the New York Times, those at the lowest income levels. The Center on Budget and Policy Priority says that we go without Social Security from having 9% of retirees in poverty to 39%. African Americans, from 19% in poverty to 52%. For Hispanics, we go from 17% in poverty to 46%. And the Times notes, the cuts will then get even worse after that. Wharton says that if we fail to fix Social Security, GDP by 2049 would be 2% lower than where it is now. So I'm not the only one out there telling you that we have got to deal with the Social Security crisis. That's the focus of our efforts with the Funding Our Future coalition. You can learn more at fundingourfuture.us. Why we're developing programs around the country to raise the awareness of Americans and trying to get Social Security into the national dialogue for the 2020 campaign season. It is astonishing to me that in the 2016 election, not a single candidate from either party ever discussed Social Security during the campaign. Not a single debate question at any of the more than one dozen debates was ever posed the question of Social Security to the candidates. We cannot allow that to occur again during this presidential campaign season. We must hear from the candidates. We must begin to talk about solutions to the social security funding crisis. The good news is we all see this train wreck coming. The good news is this is a train wreck of our own design. The good news is we have complete and total capability of solving it before it occurs. But due to the nature of the math, the simple arithmetic says we can't wait until 2035 to fix it. We've got to fix it In advance. The sooner we fix it, the easier it is to fix, the more palatable it is for voters, and therefore more likely for legislators to provide passage of legislation. Picture it like a brick wall you're headed towards in your automobile. Now, if you don't hit the brake in advance, you're going to smash into that wall and it's going to be devastating. But if you see the wall and you're approaching it from a long distance, and you just subtly, slowly, gently apply the brake. you can easily avoid any major disruption, and what goes from a crisis becomes a mere insignificant annoyance. That's what Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill did in 1982, and that's what we need to do again in 2019. Learn more at FundingOurFuture.us and stay tuned for this broadcast, and I'll share with you more news and exciting opportunities we're having for you for financial education and opportunities that you have. In the meantime, let me share with you some advice on what to do about Social Security for yourself. If you're approaching age 62, you haven't yet signed up for Social Security. Should you? When should you? Well, here's how it works. You're allowed to sign up as early as age 62. You don't have to. You can wait all the way until you're age 70. The longer you wait, the more you'll receive on a monthly basis. In fact, each year you wait, the money you'll get is about 8% more. If you take the check at 63, you get 8% more than if you took the check at 62. If you wait until 64, you get 8% more than if you waited until 63. Get my point? All the way up to age 70. In other words, your full retirement age, this is when you get supposedly 100% of the benefit you're entitled to, that happens at around age 66 or 67. If you start at 62, you only get 70% of that number. But if you wait until 70, you get 130% of that number. Huge difference in income! And that's why we generally recommend that you should wait to begin your Social Security benefits. It matters when you start. It not only matters for you, it matters for your spouse. Because many spouses are entitled to a spousal benefit, which is higher than the benefit they would get based on their own work record. Widows get a benefit based on what their deceased spouses had been receiving. The higher the income that the deceased spouse was getting, the more income the widow now obtains. So, It makes a big difference as to when you start to receive your Social Security benefits. In fact, the National Bureau of Economic Research has released a study showing that your retirement standard of living could become a lot worse in the future if you begin to receive benefits at age 62 instead of waiting until you're 66, or better yet, even waiting to age 70. So when should you begin to start your benefits? Well, it depends. It depends on your health. It depends on your marital status. It depends on whether you're still working. It depends on what your income is from that job. It depends on the ages of children. It depends if uh, you are in a marriage where there's a broad difference in ages between you and your spouse. A lot of factors go into this. It matters if you're a federal employee, either now or in the past. For all these reasons, if you're approaching age 62... Call us. Let us give you guidance on managing your Social Security benefit claim. Call us at 888 plan Rick. Doing it right can add hundreds of thousands of dollars to your pocketbook. Let us make sure you're maximizing your Social Security benefit. You want to make sure your financial future is safe and sound and able to help you enjoy all of your financial goals for yourself and your family. That's why we're here too, to help you do exactly that. We'd love to help you. If you've got questions about any aspect of your personal finances, give us a call at 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at ricedelman.com.
0: Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
5: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.
2: personal finance advice for over 25 years, this is The Rick Edelman Show. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Edelman Financial Engines is the number one ranked investment advisor in the country by Barron's. Now, here's Rick Edelman.
3: Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. Thanks for hanging around this half hour as we welcome summertime here on the program and into your lives as well. Last week on the program, I told you of the SEC's new regulation that they released called Reg BI, Regulation Best Interests, which supposedly sets a standard for all financial advisors to serve their clients' best interests. Unfortunately, there aren't too many people in the industry who agree that the SEC has succeeded in ensuring that advisors serve your best interests. It's been getting panned by most organizations, other than those, of course, representing the securities industry. Here's the problem. The rule used to be the following. Advisors were required to avoid conflicts of interest and disclose any conflicts of interest. That was the old rule, avoid them and disclose them. The new rule changes it from and to or. Now the rule says that advisors must either avoid conflicts of interest or disclose them. And that's the problem. The SEC's own investor advocate, Rick Fleming, called the new rule, Reg BI, quote, weakening the existing fiduciary standard by suggesting that liability for nearly all conflicts can be avoided through disclosure. I do not believe this is what an investor would reasonably expect from a fiduciary. That's Rick Fleming, the SEC's investor advocate, Barbara Roper, The Director of Investor Protection at the Consumer Federation of America says the SEC has rendered the definition of fiduciary, quote-unquote, meaningless. You see, we have always touted here at Edelman Financial Engines that we are a fiduciary, meaning we buy regulation serve your best interests. We proudly note that we are the only ones who say this. We meaning those in the registered investment advisory community. Those of us who are RIAs. There's a couple hundred thousand firms in the country operating as registered investment advisors and only we are required to adhere to the fiduciary standard of serving your best interests. Stockbrokers never had to do that. Insurance agents never had to do that. And we have always argued for your protection as a consumer, as an investor, make sure you're working with someone who's a fiduciary, someone who places your best interests first so that you don't have to worry about conflicts of interest. Is this person trying to sell me a product because it makes a big commission, because they're trying to win a sales contest? You don't have that concern when dealing with a fiduciary. At least that's the way it used to be until last week. But now the SEC has introduced Regulation BI, Regulation Best Interests. And now stockbrokers and insurance agents are going to be able to run around the country claiming we adhere to Regulation Best Interest, even though it's not changing their behavior, even though there's still going to be able to engage in conflicts of interest as long as they now disclose them. Our attitude is disclosure isn't enough. They need to be avoided, not merely disclosed. And so what a lot of this comes down to is the fact that the waters have been muddied. Historically, if we go back 30, 50, 80 years, you would discover that financial advisors fell in one of three very distinct camps. They were stockbrokers, or they were insurance agents, or they were investment advisors. Three separate things, three separate sets of licensing, three separate regulators. Insurance agents are regulated by state insurance regulators. Stockbrokers are regulated by FINRA. And investment advisors are regulated by the SEC. Three separate licenses, three separate regulatory bodies, because these practitioners are doing three separate things. One of them is providing investment advice, another one is selling securities, a third one is selling insurance. Three separate things. But you know what's happened lately over the last, oh, maybe 20 years? Dual licensing. Now, if you deal at least with Edelman Financial Engines, you don't have to worry about it. We are a fiduciary. We act in your best interests all the time. It's all we do as a registered investment advisor. I mean, here at Edelman Financial Engines, we used to be duly licensed, and we realized it's just confusing for the client. And so we aren't, for any of our financial advisors here at the firm any longer, duly licensed. But a lot of advisors still hold two, maybe all three sets of licenses. They hold brokerage licenses and insurance licenses and they're registered with the SEC as RIAs. Which means if someone is duly licensed, they're able to say to you, oh yeah, I'm an RIA, I'm a fiduciary. But five minutes later, they sell you an insurance product using their insurance license, and you don't know they've shifted gears. You don't know they took one hat off and put another hat on. Five minutes ago, they were acting as a fiduciary, and suddenly they're acting as a commission-based insurance agent, and you don't know that they've changed. And so, what we believe you should now be asking when you're talking to a financial advisor is the following. Are you duly licensed? You should be asking the question, You're a fiduciary, yes? Good. Are you always acting as a fiduciary? Or are you only sometimes acting as a fiduciary? And when are you going to make it clear to me which is which? And I'm sad to say that it has gotten muddy, murky, opaque, and cloudy for consumers. And what are the states thinking about all this? Because after all, the notion of registered investment advisors has been predominantly the jurisdiction of the SEC. But the states are now disappointed in the new rule. Massachusetts has announced that it's creating its own fiduciary set of regulations that will apply to everybody. Broker dealers, insurance agents, investment advisors, and investment advisor representatives. Massachusetts is the first state to respond to the SEC's new Reg B.I. Secretary of State William Galvin in Massachusetts said, quote, the SEC has failed to provide investors with the protections it needs under regulation best interest. New Jersey and Nevada are moving forward too with rules of their own. We may soon discover that instead of having one set of regulations to obey, folks like me might be facing 52 sets of regulations. If you're wondering why 52 and not 50, the SEC itself is the federal regulator and, let's not forget, the District of Columbia. 52 sets of regulations. Oh boy, am I looking forward to that. Meanwhile, let's shift gears to another scandal, the college admissions scandal. You're well familiar with this, where parents were paying upwards of more than a million dollars to fraudulently get their children admitted to USC and other colleges around the country by having somebody else take their SAT exams, by bribing college coaches claiming that they're star athletes when they've never even played the game and so on and so forth. A lot of folks are scratching their heads saying, how could this happen? When did these morals decay to such a degree? Why are these universities suddenly engaging in these bribery schemes? Well, maybe you haven't heard the story of Winthrop Sargent. He was thrown out of Harvard University after they discovered him in his dorm room with two prostitutes. He also fired a gun in the streets of Cambridge. Harvard said, that's it, you're out of here, and they kicked him out of college. Harvard later reinstated the student after his father made a large donation to the university. The year was 1771. So every time you say to yourself, this time it's different, remind yourself, no, it ain't. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com.
2: the author of the new york times bestseller the truth about your future coming up on the rick edelman show
3: we're taking telephone calls here on the rick edelman show heading off to atlanta ryan's on the phone with us how you doing ryan
7: hey how are you today
3: doing fabulous thanks so much for calling how can i help you
7: well, so I have a question about investment for where to go. Uh, my 401ks are very healthy. My house is paid off. I don't have any credit card debt. I have a couple of rental houses that are paid off. And if you want it, and I and I work a nine to five. So my wife works a nine to five, and and the savings account is healthy. And it appears that you almost have to pay a bank to hold your money, <laughs> and. I was looking to where, how do you start investing in the stock market and how do you pick stocks? It, it seems that uh, it's just hard to find a way to do that.
3: Yeah, I and get I know it. You'll
7: say it's easy with the internet, but if you don't really know anything about it, where do you go to start?
3: Yeah, that's a great, great question. Uh, you mentioned healthy a couple of times. How much money is in your healthy 401k?
7: Probably right at a million dollars.
3: Okay. And you said you own a couple of rental properties that are paid for. What are the value total value of your rental properties?
7: Both of them together, probably 250
3: And you said your house is paid for. What's that worth?
7: The house I live in is probably 225
3: Okay. And how old are you? 54. And your wife? 50. And both of you in good health, in addition to your 401k, in good health? Yes. Terrific, and you have uh, what? What is your income between you and your wife? Total household income annually,
7: one seventy-five to two hundred.
3: And what are your monthly expenses? All in
7: under four thousand.
3: Okay, uh, you are in. I, you said the word healthy. I'm not sure. I agree with that. I think you are pristine. I think you're getting the applause of the day. Uh, you're really in terrific shape, Ryan. Congratulations. Good for you. Uh, that's
7: nice to know
3: uh yeah so now because of that we are in a different camp than others that i chat with here on the program the camp i'm going to put you into is the camp of don't blow it Uh, in other words it's more important that we protect what you've accumulated than it is to double or triple or quadruple it right would you agree with that
7: Well, I'd like to protect it, but I'd also like to make more because the goal that I had and my wife had was for retirement, once you had $2 million saved, whether it be liquid or uh, in your 401k, you could retire.
3: You can probably retire right now on the assets you currently have. Did you know that?
4: I
7: did. I did not know that, but I do know. I didn't check. My goal was to buy a lake house.
3: In addition to your current property, or instead of? Uh
7: probably in addition to for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh But then sell the sell the home that I live in.
3: Got it. So good plan. Good for you. But I want you to realize that based on your total assets, based on your spending needs. You're in excellent financial condition, and you could, if you chose, you could probably retire now. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's what you should do. I'm simply saying mathematically, you probably could. Given your likely goals of continuing to work for several more years, continuing to accumulate additional assets, the scenario will simply continue to get better and better, provided we keep you in the camp of don't blow it. Meaning, we don't want, yes, you want to continue to have the opportunity to earn competitive returns in the marketplace. As you said, bank accounts are paying pretty much zero point nothing. So we do want to get you earning better returns on your cash, but that doesn't mean that we want to be rash. It doesn't make sense to take wild gambles and be speculative, running the risk of losing your money, because that would simply take you out of the excellent condition you're in now for really no particular purpose. Does that make sense? It does. So... How do we go about the process, to answer your question? As you pointed out, you're right. There is a wealth of information and data available on the internet. There's also huge ready opportunities for you to open accounts and begin investing. There are lots of sites that will allow you to do it by yourself. You know, we call them DIYers, do-it-yourselfers. And the The good news is it's never been easier, it's never been cheaper. The bad news is if you don't know what you're doing, it's never been easier to get yourself into trouble because you don't know what you don't know and it's a very dangerous scenario. So here's what I would recommend. First, get education. Begin to learn how the investment world works so that you understand the environment, you become conversational in the jargon, and in the rules, and in the methodologies and process. And I will tell you, with a little bit of uh, subjectivity, that the best first place to start in your educational journey is the first book that I wrote called The Truth About Money. It's designed for people like you. The book is now in its fourth edition. It was named Book of the Year by the Institute on Financial Literacy. The book is designed for people who don't know much about money, they don't know much about investments, uh, and they're trying to learn more. So it teaches you what is a stock? What is a bond? What is a mutual fund? How do they work? What are the risks and what are the fees? How do you open an account? Uh, How do you understand the differences between one versus another? What is the proper investment strategy? So I would encourage you to start there. In fact, by the time we're done this phone call, I'm going to put you on hold, we're going to get your address, and I'm going to mail you a copy for free. Okay? Perfect. So The Truth About Money is a great place to start. And what you're going to learn in reading that book is that you have two basic choices in investing. The first choice is to go open an account and buy a bunch of investments. That's risky because you don't know, with your lack of knowledge and training, what investments to go buy. And you might end up putting too much money in the wrong place, creating the financial jeopardy that we're trying to avoid. The second alternative is, instead of buying a bunch of stocks or a bunch of bonds, to use mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. These are baskets of stocks and baskets of bonds. The theory is simply diversification. Instead of betting on a single stock and hoping it does well, you invest in a basket of hundreds, even thousands of stocks. This way, no one stock collapse will cause you a crisis because if it's one of a thousand, so what if it goes broke? But if it's the only one you own, that's a big crisis. So we're very big fans of using baskets of investments called mutual funds and ETFs, because it lowers your risks. These investments these days are very inexpensive, uh, very easy to uh, obtain. And the real question becomes, which of those funds do you buy? And in what combination? And that's the notion of diversification. So rather than trying to do it yourself, you've telephoned a financial planner. You happen to have telephoned the number one ranked financial planning firm in the country. Uh, But you've called a financial planner. So you could, instead of doing it on your own, hire that financial planner to do it for you. And uh, it's entirely up to you. If you can do it on your own, if you have the time, if you have the knowledge, and you have the desire to do it on your own, you can do it on your own and skip our fee. But if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't want to take the time to do it, if you don't really want to do it, you'd rather do other things with your life, then you delegate the chore to us and you pay us our fee. It's kind of like mowing the lawn. You can do it yourself or you can hire someone to mow the lawn for you and you'll pay them a fee for their time. It's really that simple. And in fact, in my book, The Truth About Money, Part 13 is called How to Choose a Financial Advisor. So it teaches you the questions you should ask an advisor, understanding their compensation, their licensing, uh, understanding how to decide whether or not an advisor is something you ought to hire or not. So we need to take baby steps, Ryan. That's basically the issue that I'm putting in front of you. Let's start with some basic knowledge and education to understand how it works, and then you can begin to decide whether you want to do it on your own or whether you want to do it via a financial advisor. Perfect. So I'm going to start you off by putting you on hold, getting your address. We're going to mail a copy of the book to you. If you have questions from reading the book, Call us right back, right here at the same number you dialed today, 888-PLAN-RICK, and we'll take it through with you step-by-step step at your pace, at your comfort level, to make sure that we're doing this the way you want it done. But I want to remind you, you're in excellent financial condition, you and your wife. I want you to evaluate how long do you two want to keep working because you are rapidly at the point where work is becoming optional. Good for you. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm gonna put you on hold, Ryan. Thank you so much for the telephone call. You can do what Ryan did. Call us at triple eight plan rec. That's triple eight seven five two sixty seven forty two. I'm Rick Edelman, you're listening to the truth about money. Oh yeah, that's the name of the book.
2: Information on what you need to do now. Go to Rick That's Rick
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BDW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.
3: Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here on The Truth About Money. We talk often about the importance of you having a will, having your estate planning documents in place. Do you? I hope so. Half of the people listening to this broadcast right now do have an estate plan. Good for you. But what about those who don't? Forget that. I'm not going to talk to you if you haven't done it. I want to talk to you if you have. Normally, when we talk about estate planning, we admonish those who don't have an estate plan to go get an estate plan, but forget it. I want to talk to those of you who do have an estate plan. Good for you. You've done the job. You went to an attorney. You've written wills and trusts. You've signed the legal documents. Everything's in place. Good for you. Oh, yeah? Are you sure that the documents do what you think they're going to do? Do they say what you think they're supposed to say? Tom Petty... The famous rock and roller passed away in 2017, as you may recall. He did his estate planning thoroughly. Unlike many celebrities we hear who die at young ages, they die without wills, leaving their estates in turmoil, resulting in massive lawsuits that often take decades to resolve. Not Tom Petty. He was responsible. He was mature. He was diligent and thoughtful, and he had a will in it. He left decision-making about his estate to his widow and his two daughters from an earlier marriage. He said in the document, they are to make these decisions in equal participation. That's a direct quote. Equal participation. Well, the daughters are now suing their stepmother, claiming she's not giving them enough control. The basis of their lawsuit? What do you mean By equal participation. Well, I'm afraid, Tom, that's exactly what's happening. They're fighting. Equal participation, does that mean that the wife gets 50% and the daughters get 50%? So it's a tie? Or do each of the daughters get their own share, meaning the three of them share equally, they each get a third, effectively giving the daughters control if they band together? they would have two-thirds versus the wife's one-third. In other words, Tom Petty's will was ambiguously worded. And it's creating the fight. Rescue me Should I go down if I stay too long In So you've got to make sure in your efforts, since you're going to the trouble of writing the documents... Read them as a unbiased, impartial stranger would read them. Does it say what you intended it to say? You know, I mean, Tom Petty clearly knew what equal participation meant. But there's dispute over this. Aretha Franklin, she died and afterward they found several handwritten wills each saying different things. Which one worked? Prince died without a will of any kind. Look at James Brown. He was married four times. He had nine legitimate children and at least three illegitimate ones. What were his intentions? Who was included? Who was excluded? Who got how much of what? Are you setting the stage for the family to live in peace together? Or are you setting the stage for a massive fight. So make sure that you don't get everybody's backs up against the wall with your own estate planning. If you would like, we're happy to read your legal documents. We're not lawyers, but we can work with your lawyer to help make sure that what was written down is what you meant to write down. Does it, in fact, say what you wanted it to say? Call us at Edelman Financial Engines at 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. I want to share with you a piece of advice that we never gave and we are now vindicated in not having given it to you. And why you got to watch out for people who try to come up with clever ideas that frankly don't pass the smell test. This is particularly important if you live in New York or New Jersey, even Connecticut as well. You might recall that when the new tax law went into place, there was a limitation on your ability to deduct state and local taxes. In the past, you could deduct your state and local taxes on your federal return, and people in New York and New Jersey pay a lot in property taxes. And that was a big tax deduction on their federal return. Well, now you're only allowed to deduct up to $10,000. Well, the governors of New York and New Jersey were so incensed by this that they created legislation that allowed you to do an end run around the federal tax code, saying, we'll have you... Instead of pay property taxes, we'll have you pay a charitable tax. That doesn't get counted under the new federal tax law, preserving your ability to take the full federal deduction. I told you when they were playing those games, it would never stand the muster of the U.S. Treasury. The IRS would nix it, and guess what? They now have. This past week, the IRS has officially killed the programs that New York and New Jersey designed to help residents get around the $10,000 state and local tax deduction. New regulations by the Treasury prohibit you from creating charitable funds in exchange for property tax exemptions. In other words, if you played this game, you may get audited. If you attempt to play the game, your taxes, penalties, interest may rise. It's often the advice we don't give you that is of greatest value to you, I'm Rick Edelman here at Edelman Financial Engines, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. Let me say hi to Steve. He's in Rockwall, Texas. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing fine, sir. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. I was
4: uh, heard your show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, so to speak, your dislike for annuities. And I've, uh, I'm a high school football coach and teacher, and I've in investing in a 403B annuity, since 1995 and it's grown and it's got about $85,000 in it so having listened to you and all of that I was wondering should I go ahead and get out of the annuity and with the $85,000 and uh, what would I do with the 85000 if I got out of the annuity or should I just go speak bite the bullet and keep investing it and that's a mistake I've made.
3: <laughs> Are you still coaching in school?
4: Yes, sir. I'm a high school football coach and teacher, and my wife's also a teacher, too. So we're both going to get uh, pension checks after we retire.
3: Awesome. Good for you. How's the team going to do this season?
4: Uh, I think we're going to be pretty good. We have a shot. It's a tough. It's going to be tough, but we should be pretty good.
3: Good for you. We look forward to your success. So um, you. since you're still teaching, meaning you're still contributing to the 403B plan at school – uh, yes sir. The, you have a variety of investment options in the plan. Uh, for those who are not familiar, a 403b plan, Is like a 401k. It's what you use in a school system or hospital or a nonprofit organization. And in many 403b plans, they offer a variety of investment choices, sometimes mutual funds, sometimes annuities, sometimes both. So you have really three choices, Steve, that you can do. One, you can keep putting all of your money into the annuity that you already have, just as you've been doing. Second, you can move the money from the current annuity over to other investment choices that are available to you in the plan. Or third, you could freeze the current annuity, leave it as is, don't put more money into it, and put your new money from new paychecks, the new contributions, into a different choice. So you have three different options available to you. It's hard for me to say specifically what is the best option without looking at your plan. In other words, I need to know what those investment options are. I also need to know which annuity contract you are using and what its features and benefits and costs are. There also may be surrender charges or other expenses that would make getting rid of it prohibitively expensive. So we would need to look at the details of... Uh, your 403B plan to be able to tell you exactly what you should be doing.
4: As far as the nudity itself, we've been, like I said, we've been invested in 1995 and looking at my statements, I would have no surrender charges or anything
3: since I've been in it long enough. It depends, and here's why. The surrender charge is typically applied with each contribution you make, which means the initial money you put in back in the 1990s Yeah, that's free of any surrender charges, but the money you put in with last month's paycheck, that block of money might have a surrender charge. Now, the good news is you live uh, in Rockwall, which is uh, East Dallas. We've got an office in Dallas, so I would encourage you and your wife to come sit down and and meet with us, Uh, meet with one of my colleagues in our local office. and We can spend that time going through the account that you've got to tell you what the best strategy is for your situation
4: okay thank you so much for your time
3: steve thank you so much for the telephone call you can do what steve did call us at triple eight plan rick you don't have to go it alone these days just shows to go yeah there are people who have a better experience and knowledge and expertise because we've been doing it full time that's our career when i need advice uh, on how to throw a football i'm gonna call steve you're listening to the rick edelman show triple eight to plan rick online at rice
2: with the publisher of the newsletter Inside Personal Finance, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
3: We're taking telephone calls here on The Rick Edelman Show off to Palm Bay, Florida. Frank's with us on the air. How are you doing, Frank?
6: I'm doing very fine, Rick. Thank you for taking my call.
3: You're very welcome. How can I help?
6: Well, a couple of questions. Um, We've retired. Um, We've got, I'm I'm going to use for purposes of this show, say 800K in an IRA base between the two of us, my wife and I. Okay. I'm kind of wondering for the next 25 or 30 years, I know it's hard to predict, but what's the um, kind of expected, uh, I would call it, return over investment, meaning the difference between inflation and management fees that we might expect – you know, for growth or to be able to maintain for that IRA. In other words, trying to figure out what our style of living, level of living might be.
3: Yeah, you know, how much income might you get in real economic terms from that cash? You know, I'm really uh, proud of you, Frank. You are asking what I consider to be not only one of the most basic questions in the world of investing, but a question that an extraordinarily few people ever think to ask. So good for you. I'm giving you the applause of the day. Well, thank you, Rick. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really, really quite fascinating because it's not what your return is that matters. It's what your return is net of taxes and inflation and fees. That's yeah. what matters. In other words, it's what you keep that counts, not what you gross that counts. And if anybody doubts oh. that, just look at your paycheck. So here's the yeah. deal. I'm going to just give you some basic numbers. And you said it correctly. Nobody can predict the future. So every number I'm about to share with you is based on historic data. And past performance is no guarantee of future results. Any assertion on the contrary is a federal offense. We understand that point. So here's the basic issue. The stock market historically has been the best performing asset class in history. Look at every asset class you wish. Real estate, bonds, gold, Foreign securities, government securities, oil and gas, natural resources, you name it, I don't care. The stock market historically has been the best performing asset class period. Since 1926, according to Ibbots and Associates, the U.S. stock market as measured by the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones Industrial Average have averaged about 10% per year. Now, that doesn't mean that it earns 10% each year, as we well know. In some years, it can go up a whole lot or go down a whole lot, but on average, 10% per year. And as soon as you put some of your money somewhere else, you're going to lower your overall total return. If you put some of the money in the bank, you're earning 0.0. If you put the money in treasuries, you're earning about 2%. You put the money in some other asset class, you're going to earn somewhere between 2 and 10. So if you have a diversified portfolio, I would say that depending on how you diversify it, depending on how much of the money is in stocks, you're going to have somewhere between, I would say, 6 and 8% per year on average over long periods. That's gross. That's good. I didn't okay. think it
6: would be that high, actually.
3: Yeah. So, I, well, it might be closer to the 6 than the 8 but let's just, you know, somewhere that's a pretty broad range. Now, that is before taxes you're going to have to pay taxes on the money. You're either going to pay the taxes annually, if it's a taxable account, or you're going to pay the taxes in the future, such as when you sell the asset, you incur the capital gains tax, or in your case, the money is in an IRA, upon withdrawal, you'll pay the taxes. And so depending on when you pay the tax, the tax will be anywhere from 10% to 33%. And then you add in state taxes as well, depending on the state you live in. You're in Florida, so you don't have to worry about a state income tax, but other Yay. people do. Uh, and so the tax total, you might end up at a 40% tax rate, worst case scenario. Maybe it's only half that at 20%, but that is going to you know, cut your return from 8% down to maybe 55 Then what we haven't taken into consideration are the annual fees of the investment the fee, depending on the investment you choose, can be anywhere from 0.1% all the way up to 10%, depending on the investment you're buying. If you're going to go with mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, uh, very low-cost investments, your expenses are going to be somewhere around 0.3%, 0.4% per year. So if you were earning 8 you now you're earning 7.6%. You're going to pay, call it 20% in taxes on the 7.6. That's going to knock you down to about 6%. And right. then you've got to subtract the financial advisor's fee. And depending on the advisor you're choosing, that might be 1%, 2% uh, of the advisor's fee. So now you're down to about 4 or 5% per year. And then we have to factor in inflation. For the last 10 years, inflation's been averaging about 1.5. Since 1926, it's been averaging 3.2. So in real economic terms, you might expect net of fees, net of taxes, net of inflation, your real rate of return might be 1% or 2%. Yeah,
6: that's what I was afraid of.
3: Well, it's interesting you say that. Gee, that's what I was afraid of. You know what? This is how everybody everywhere in the investing world gets rich. You'd be amazed. In real economic terms, net of expenses, a 1% or 2% return is absolutely great. Consider the alternative, such as putting the money into a bank account. If you earn 1% in a bank account, you lose a third of it to taxes. That leaves you with 0. 065 you then subtract 3% for inflation, that means net of taxes and inflation, you're losing 2.4% per year. You do that for 20 years, and your account will now be a negative 48%. In other words, if you start with your $800,000, 20 years from now, it'll be worth, in real economic terms,
6: Ah! $416,000. I
3: hear it. Yeah, You'll lose almost half of your money in real economic terms. So when I say to you that the alternative of a diversified portfolio, even including an advisor's fee, you're having a net increase in value over those 20 years, look at the difference. People say to me, I don't want to take any risk. I want my money to be safe. Congratulations. You're going broke safely. And you just don't know it. You just don't know it. Exactly right. And you know when people yeah. begin to know it? When they're in their 70s and 80s, they've had their money locked up in super safe accounts, and they're discovering that the cost of living has been growing, and the cost of food, the cost of health care, property taxes, the price of gasoline, all of the costs of living have been rising. Their incomes have not because they've been putting their money into investments that fall in value due to inflation. And that's when they realize something's wrong. When it's too late. And it's too late. And that's why when we first say, oh my goodness, net of everything, I'm only going to get a 1% or a 2% real rate of return, net of taxes, expenses, and inflation, our attitude is that's awesome. That's fabulous. That's really all you need to do to be able to achieve financial success defined as maintaining your lifestyle for as long as you live.
6: And that's what we need. Exactly. Okay, Rick.
3: Now, if you don't know how to do all that, that's why you hire a financial advisor. We'll do it for you. Understood. Okay. Frank, thanks so much for the phone call.
6: Thank you for the response and a very detailed response. I really appreciate it, Rick.
3: You're very welcome. Thank you so much, Frank. I appreciate your phone call. I'm Rick Edelman. If you've got questions about how do you get a real rate of return, how do you minimize your fees, how do you minimize or defer your taxes, how do you offset the impact of inflation, these are things you can't hide from. These are things you can't escape, but you can avoid them. You can reduce them. You can minimize them. You can defer them. And if you don't know how, that's why you give us a call. 888-PLAN-RICK. Thanks so much for joining me on the program today. And I'm inviting you to enjoy the new summertime here in the United States and around the world. I'm Rick Edelman here at Edelman Financial Engines. 888-PLAN-RICK. Online at ricedelman.com. Thanks for being with us. That's a wrap.
2: As a reward, you'll have no radio for the rest of the week. Go to your room. See you next week. Get the truth about money every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show.
1: plus.